From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. A Louisiana federal judge has refused to put a temporary hold on his controversial order banning federal agencies and officials from communicating with social media companies. Biden administration attorneys had asked Judge Terry Doughty, a Trump appointee, to stay his nationwide injunction while they pursue an appeal to the Fifth Circuit. After a year-long delay, the judge had issued the order on July 4th, giving a victory to Republican attorneys general in Missouri and Louisiana and concluding that the government likely violated the First Amendment in its efforts to persuade tech companies to take steps to limit the spread of misinformation and fake accounts, especially during the pandemic. Joining me is Jess Myers, Legal Advocacy Counsel at the Chamber of Progress. Just I want to start with the July 4th opinion, which is 155 pages. Can you summarize his findings for us? Absolutely. So the judge found that the plaintiffs were able to meet their burden for the preliminary injunction when it comes to state action. All this means is that when we later consider a merits decision or a merits opinion, the plaintiffs have done enough to show that this conduct is enough to be enjoined until that merits decision is heard. The order itself put out several requirements having to do with government interaction with social media. For the most part, the Biden administration defendants are prohibited from communicating with social media companies about content unless it fits into some of the exceptions provided, which were for things such as national security and um, criminal activity. So that order is currently in place. Can you tell me why the judge decided why he thinks that the plaintiffs here will win on the merits? Importantly, what the court was looking for in this case is significant encouragement and coercion from the government. That's the analysis that these judges look for when they are assessing improper state action. So the court was considering whether any of the government's requests to the platforms could be reasonably perceived as threats, for example, to engage in censorship. And from the evidence that was presented and thoroughly discussed throughout the opening of the opinion, the court seemed to agree that there is evidence of significant coercion to engage in censorship from the governments to the tech companies. The court also assessed the extent of the government's overall involvement in the platform's content moderation decisions. And again, it presents a question as to, you know, what is the extent that the government is just rotely requesting or reporting that content should be taken down versus strong arming the companies, for example. And did the judge find that the Biden administration was strong arming the companies? The judge found that there was enough evidence presented to potentially meet that burden required under state action. 
So in order to then actually determine that significant coercion and encouragement took place on, on the part of the Biden administration, there would have to be a merits discussion. The court now, in granting this preliminary injunction, has found that there is enough evidence to reasonably uh, decide to enjoin the actions between the government and social media companies as we wait for a merits decision. So Judge Dowdy wrote, the present case arguably involves the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. How does he justify that or back that up? So, again, it's coming from the extensive evidence that was discussed throughout the opinion. The judge is looking at things like, you know, emails that were sent from Biden administration officials to the social media companies, strongly suggesting or strongly wording the government's request to remove content. Additionally, the court cited to the attempts by Biden administration or the suggestions by the Biden administration to impose regulations such as amending or repealing uh, Section 230, which, of course, as as you know, is the immunity that these services rely on in order to do content moderation in the first place. So these types of suggestions and what could be perceived as threats is what the court was really honing in on when it was making a decision that it thinks there is enough evidence there to suggest that state action occurred. So what about the free speech rights of the federal officials who are allegedly making these comments to the social media companies? There's a question about the speech rights of the government, which is arguably tricky when it comes to drawing a line between when the government can communicate versus when that communication arises to the level of significant coercion or impermissible state action. So that's one consideration. But there's also another important consideration here, and that is the First Amendment rights of the companies as well, not just the First Amendment rights of the companies to make decisions as to what kind of content they choose to carry or not carry on their services, but potentially also a right to petition the government as well. These companies have a right to communicate with their government representatives when it comes to trying to become informed to make decisions about uh, some of this edgier, trickier content that they're making decisions on. So it goes both ways. The line is less clear for government officials, but it's pretty glaring for social media companies when it comes to their own engagement, their own voluntary engagement with with government. Was it just the Justice Department that was defending this? And can you just summarize their argument? The Biden administration, the defendants in this case, were arguing that, you know, their conduct, of course, does not arise to significant encouragement or coercion. To the extent that they're making that argument, they are suggesting that at all times they have requested or reported communications, uh, reported content to the social media platforms. But importantly, the decision to remove content has always been left up to the social media platforms. So the government is essentially arguing that simply submitting requests to the social media companies about content is not enough to arise the level of coercion that we have seen the Supreme Court and other courts before determine for state action. So is it unusual it took this judge a year to rule on this? I don't think so. I wouldn't be able to speak to the decision making that took place for the for this to, to take a year. I think state action, it speaks to the complications that is the state action doctrine. Um, doctrine itself is heavily convoluted and heavily contradictory and, and, and conflicting with the cases that we've seen in the past. The Biden administration asked the judge to put a temporary hold on the order while it appeals to the Fifth Circuit. 
the administration argued that the terms of the injunction were overbroad and ambiguous, saying it would leave it up to every individual agency official to have to figure out if certain online speech was or wasn't constitutionally protected. Do you think that was a good argument after reviewing the judge's order? Yes, absolutely. As you've just said, what's concerning in this case is that the judge's decision to restrict contact between the administration and social media platforms appears to be overly broad, arbitrary, and contradictory. You know, the Trump-appointed judge here directed federal officials to stop notifying social media companies and outside researchers of problematic content. Of course, while that order made some exceptions, as we've discussed, for crime, national security, and attempts to suppress voter rights, a lot of these exemptions are, in fact, contradictory. So, for example, the exemption allowing the government to exercise permissible public government speech conflicts with the judge's conclusion that statements by the Surgeon General and the White House Press Secretary violated the First Amendment. As you know, there's all sorts of content that is on the borders when it comes to criminal content, national security, et cetera. And so the order essentially positions companies to either speak with the government or don't speak with the government, but these exemptions are, are, are not going to be enough for there to be a clear decision as to when it is appropriate for government and, and social media companies to interact. The Biden administration had asked the judge to stay his nationwide injunction while they pursue an appeal to the Fifth Circuit. Judge Daddy refused to do that. I mean, it's not only that he denied the request for a stay, but he even denied the alternative request for a seven-day pause while it asked the appeals court to step in. That just seems mean to me. I read the I read his order as vindictive. And again, it doesn't surprise me only because, well, it's the same judge who handed down the injunction order who is now deciding whether to stay his injunction. Um, and from the original memo supporting the uh, the injunction, it, you could pretty much tell that this, this judge has already determined without more that this is impermissible state action by the, the Biden administration. And it feels more heavily political than legal here. So I am not surprised by the judge's rejection of the stay here. Did Judge Dowdy add any new reasons for keeping the injunction in place, or did he basically say, it's what I said before, it's not a, and it's not as broad as it appears? It's the latter. So Dowdy kind of circularly addresses the DOJ's concerns regarding the overbreath of the order, saying, you know, the order prohibits something that defendants have no legal right to do, which is contacting social media companies for the purposes of urging, encouraging, or pressuring companies to engage in content moderation. But it doesn't address DOJ's uh, arguments that all of the examples provided um, in the complaint do not arise to urging, encouraging, uh, coercion, significant encouragement that the court is supposed to assess here. So it's exactly that. The judge did not issue any new reasoning in rejecting their stay application and instead just just kind of used circular logic to explain why the order should stay. And within hours, the DOJ filed an appeal with the Fifth Circuit. Tell us a little bit about what the DOJ argued. So the DOJ's request for this limited stay highlighted several concerns, including um, the district court's interference with the executive branch's powers and duties to communicate with the American public, the plaintiff's lack of standing, as we've discussed before, the district court's imprecise state action analysis regarding coercion and significant encouragement, 
and the overbroad and precise and imbalanced injunction order as well. The DOJ also noted that they would seek an emergency application for stay from the Supreme Court should the Fifth Circuit reject this request. The DOJ said that this order puts the judiciary in the untenable position of superintending the executive branch's communications. I mean, just how would this injunction even be enforced? That's exactly it. The executive branch has a duty to communicate broadly with the American public about how they can mitigate threats to the nation, as the DOJ discussed. And government officials are also permitted to express views about the world, including whether certain communications, such as from social media companies or news publishers, are false and harmful. So given that sort of latitude of the executive branch's duties to advocate for and defend its own policies, There's a reason why we've seen the courts, including the Supreme Court, set such a high threshold for when advocacy becomes coercion or significant encouragement. And here, the injunction order impermissibly interferes with that duty. So in order to enforce it, there would, again, have to be a threshold question as to whether the communications prohibited by the order actually rise to this this level of state action in order to determine whether the communications meet some of the exemptions in the uh, DOJ order. But again, there's already an incredibly high standard for these communications, and this order is conflicting with that, that standard. I think it seems pretty likely that the Fifth Circuit is going to grant the stay for several reasons, but Also because it it may be sort of chastened. In the last term, the Supreme Court reversed seven out of nine rulings from the Fifth Circuit. So I'm not sure it wants another case to go up to the Supreme Court. I would actually be surprised if the Fifth Circuit did not overturn the injunction here, only because from what we've seen, again, with this Fifth Circuit with regards to the First Amendment case in the Net Choice and CCIA lawsuit regarding First Amendment rights of the services to carry specific content, I would actually suspect that the Fifth Circuit would uphold this injunction based on some of the similar reasoning that they chose to uphold the HB 20 law in Texas. Have courts been playing an oversized role in mediating fights over how the tech giants moderate what goes on their platforms? I mean, should this be the role of the courts? I mean, that's the interesting question, and it kind of gets to the heart of this decision, because in giving this order, the court itself is making decisions about what types of speech are acceptable and what types of speech are not acceptable. Again, we're talking about the exemptions that the order presents. And so that begs the question, then, is the court also improperly weighing into editorial discretion when it makes those decisions, when it sides with the plaintiffs in this case? And if so, then is the government, the courts, are they impermissibly using state action to enable censorship on these social media platforms? And I would venture to say yes, in this case, certainly so. Let's just talk about the Supreme Court for a moment, because the Supreme Court delayed a review of Texas and Florida laws that would allow users to sue online platforms for alleged political censorship. Does it seem like the court will take that up? I'm wondering what the delay is. It seems like a a case that's destined to be at the Supreme Court. Yeah, I mean, reading the tea leaves here, I think that the court pretty much has to take the net choice NCCIA cases up in Texas and Florida. You know, I think there was a lot on the docket, especially with the Gonzalez case and the Tamina case and some of the other First Amendment cases we saw earlier this term. 
And so I think the push to have the Solicitor General weigh in for the Texas Florida cases was a maneuver to buy time. But this case has teed up between the different state regulations that we've seen come out with regards to forcing services to carry content. Now we have this Biden injunction. Uh, It seems glaring that the court will have to make a decision about regulations that attempt to force social media companies, private entities to carry First Amendment protected speech. This is going to the Fifth Circuit, which is one of the most conservative circuits in the country. So who knows what they'll do? But would that be a case for the Supreme Court as well? I absolutely could see the DOJ pushing this to the Supreme Court because, again, the order itself is so broad and it is creating this hostile environment for both social media companies and government actors when it comes to their ability to collaborate and info gather. But it's also, again, it brings a lot of First Amendment concerns, as we've discussed, for the government actors themselves, but also for the companies. At the end of the day, if we reach a merits decision that says that the government does act improperly when it sends requests to take down content to social media companies, that content that the social media companies removed could very well be considered improper state action. And then those companies would be forced to reinstate that content. So we also have some must carry issues that are very similar to Texas, Florida cases in this case as well. Also, is there a question about the state AGs having standing to sue here? Why do they have standing here? This is a complicated question. Um, So we're talking about the First Amendment rights of U.S. citizens and in states like Missouri, for example, in Louisiana, where these cases arose, the 14th Amendment is what provisions our constitutional First Amendment rights and other rights that are granted by the Constitution for the states as well. And so with regards to a question of state action and impermissibly abridging the rights of the users who have had their content removed, whether that be, in this case, COVID-19 content or, or other types of content, that is sort of the idea that, you know, that the AG is, is pursuing with regards to standing in this case. And the court seemed to agree on that as well. Can you talk at all about the case before the Supreme Court, whether elected officials violate the First Amendment when they block people from seeing their social media accounts? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in both of those cases, I believe it's the O'Hanley case and the Lynn Key cases. In both of those cases, they regard uh, government actors removing, blocking content and accounts of private U.S. citizens. And it's very similar to this case, again, with regard to the government has taken an action in that case. And again, it's really important to keep in mind here, in both cases, in the Supreme Court cases and in this injunction order, we're not talking about the conduct of the social media companies, though the conduct of social media companies can be implicated in all three cases here. We are talking specifically about government actions on speech. The courts, you know, in the past have long recognized that state actors, whether they are operating a social media account under their official title or operating it as a personal account, are not able to block content, block accounts, remove content that comes from private U.S. citizens, as this would be a violation of the U.S. citizens' right to speech, but also the right to have access to and protest the government as well. So similar questions are in front of the Supreme Court in the state actor cases. What will be interesting is to see if If the Supreme Court agrees that government action here was impermissible when it comes to the government's own decisions to remove content or or block some of these accounts, what that will again mean for the social media companies. I'm wondering, is this an area where Congress should be taking some role instead of leaving it to the courts? 
So I think the Constitution itself and existing policy that we have already accounts for this. Again, the First Amendment, it's clear in that it restrains government and state actors from abridging the right to speech of private U.S. citizens. We have a lot of state action doctrine already that gets into the weeds of when broadcasters and publishers do act jointly or are encouraged by state actors to abridge those First Amendment rights. So it's not likely that we need Congress to intervene here. However, this does present sort of a nuanced situation for state action doctrine and for the First Amendment that the courts should be able to resolve in the O'Hanley case, the Linky case, and even here in the recent injunction order. Are there broader implications to Judge Dowdy's order? The order could open the door for plaintiffs to renew some of their state actor arguments against social media companies, plaintiffs being not just the ones in this case, but as we've seen in previous cases where You know, plaintiffs try to work around Section 230, work around the First Amendment by suggesting that content removal um, was that of state action. It really could open the door for them to renew some of those arguments down the road, you know, suggesting that content removals were based on impermissible coercion from the state. And should future courts determine content moderation was the result of impermissible state action, social media companies, again, may be forced to reinstate accounts and content against their preferences, which could lead to the reinstatement of pernicious misinformation and disinformation, hate speech, and more. So the implications of this case are much broader than just can the government communicate with social media. It goes beyond that. And it really, it comes down to the kinds of speech that private actors, such as these social media companies, will be forced to carry. We'll now have to keep watch on what the Fifth Circuit does. Thanks so much for being on the show, Jess. That's Jess Myers, Legal Advocacy Counsel at the Chamber of Progress. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.